You know what, as Luke's already said, it is fantastic to see you all in church today. And um, if you're visiting here, you're so welcome. We really want you to feel at home and, and really enjoy your time with us at church. We are starting a new series today, though. That is not an untruth. It's called Things That Jesus Didn't Say. Now, sometimes we, um, we get caught in a bit of a trap and sometimes we feel like I've had conversations and you've had conversations and maybe we all have that maybe you think that Jesus said some stuff that he actually didn't say. And so in this series, we're just gonna kind of address some of the main things that we sometimes think that Jesus said, which he actually didn't. And you're like at this point going, okay, Dave, well, if I wanna know what Jesus said, well, I'm just going to look in the Bible because it's all there, right? It's all written down. I know exactly what he said because it's written in the Bible. But here's the thing. This is really important because if we go about our lives misunderstanding some of the things that we think Jesus said and he actually didn't, that can be really bad for us. We can end up with a faith problem. We can, we can just end up with confusion going on. And it's really important that we do know exactly what he said about certain things and what he didn't. So in this series, we're going to unpack some of the most common things that we all go about our lives thinking Jesus said, which he actually didn't. And can I just say as well at the outset, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Christ and you're here today, maybe for the first time, you've picked a great week to come to church because this stuff is hugely practical. I really believe this stuff is going to be great for your life also. So we're so glad that you're here. We're so pleased that you're among us and you are really in for a very, very good day in church. You know, I don't know about you, but for me, some of my most epic fails and my biggest struggles in life have arrived around my reactions to things. That's just been the way that my life is. My biggest challenges have arrived around times when I've made a judgment call, got it wrong, and typically that's when I've ended up in my life in the biggest amount of trouble. You know, when I was growing up, I was maybe, I don't know, 11, 12 years old, I was a kid, and there was a guy that used to live, there was a young lad that used to live fairly near to where we lived as a family. He wasn't from our immediate estate, but he was from somewhere close by. Now, he used to come and he used to hang around where we lived. He just, he just would come and he, he just brought trouble with him. He was a trouble causer, you know the type, and he was always fighting and he was always falling out with people and he was just known as a bad guy and his name was Paul. So we were all out, me and my bunch of friends, this one day, and we were playing out. We were doing whatever it is you do as young lads, seeing whose bike was faster or whatever we were doing. And Paul turns up. And for the purpose of the podcast, I'm not going to use his surname. I nearly said his surname then, but there you go. I'm not going to use his surname for the purpose of the podcast. But Paul turns up, and he just starts like shouting things and saying things and making fun of all of us. And another thing about me is, I've never really been one to keep quiet. I've never really been one to hold my tongue. And any of you that know me, I know that's surprising, but um, I've never been one to kind of lie down under a challenge. So I start answering back. But this guy is one of these lads who's like a man mountain. I mean, he is a big lad. Like there's no way that me with my measly 11, 12 year old frame could have ever gone anywhere near physically taking on this lad. 
So he starts saying stuff and I start saying stuff back and I really whip things up nicely. So he comes across and he like approaches me and I think, "Uh uh-oh, here we are, we're in for it now. And would you believe it, church? He actually, he didn't hit me, he spat at me. He He spat big time. Now, thinking about it now, I'm actually quite impressed by, by what he could produce. I mean, I don't know what he'd been eating, but it like was on my ear, it was down my neck, it was on my front. I was like, it had substance. It was like wallpaper paste. It was bad stuff. So like, I just stood there and I couldn't believe that he'd spat at me. I mean, it was like, who does that? Who spits at someone? That's disgusting. Everything within me wanted to go and have a go at this lad. Everything within me wanted to see him suffer for what he'd done. But I was nowhere near big enough for that. What I was aware of, though, is that I was fairly near my house, and I could see that my dad had just got home, and he was pulling up onto the driveway in his car. So I thought, you might be bigger than me, but you're not bigger than my dad. So I went for backup. So with him following me all the way, I kind of went home and I'm shouting to my dad and telling him, look at this, this is a nightmare, look what he's done to me. And my dad tells me, he says, go inside, I'm going to sort this. So I thought, okay. Now, another thing about me is that I've never really known when to stop either. So I kind of like, if I just stopped there and pressed pause, I would have gone in the house and everything would have been fine. But I decided in my infinite wisdom that I'd just give one thing a go. So I picked up this rock, the first thing I could see on my mum's front garden, and I was like, right, there's gotta be a rock here somewhere. I pick up this rock, and I just thought, in for a penny, in for a pound, I'm a good distance from him, I'm probably gonna miss, I'll give it a go, eh? David in the Bible got it right, he got Goliath right there, so maybe the Lord is for us. So I picked up this, very Christian child, so I picked up this rock, And I just hurled this rock into the street. Now, he was a pretty good distance away. I watched this rock as it curled through the air. And no word of a lie, church, it got him right in the face. (laughs) I was so happy. I was like, come on. I was happier than I was last night when we won the Champions League. But like, I was so delighted. Ultimate revenge was mine and he was dead angry. And then all the trouble started. I ended up grounded. I ended up having to apologize, which is like a major problem for me. And I just didn't want to, <laughs> I just didn't want to go another like minute without letting him. I just wanted to get him back. I just wanted to, I just wanted to absolutely school him. And it was a good job that I was grounded because he was looking for me for like absolutely weeks because he would not let it go. And um, he just was searching me. He was hunting me down. He wasn't happy at all. So it was a good job that I was grounded because I just ended up in so much trouble. You know, though, I think it's fair to say that none of us likes it when we get humiliated in public. I think it's fair to say that just like me, with all that stuff coming down my face in front of my friends, none of us like it when we get humiliated. None of us like it when we get belittled. None of us like it when we get publicly wronged. And that's why today I just want to spend a few minutes looking at one thing which is common to every single one of us in here, whether you've had it today or whether you had it 15 years ago or whether it's still to come. It's common for every single one of us here. You know, the thing we're going to be looking at today is something which every one of us will suffer. It's more than likely going to enter into part of every single day. 
If you've ever had a day in work where you've got home and your whole day has been a complete and utter shed collapse and the whole thing's been a nightmare and you fell out with everybody, it could be as a result of this one thing. It's the reason for so many destructive family feuds. It's the reason for friendship breakdowns. It's the reason for damage that gets done inside of relationships. It's the juice of so many TV dramas and soaps. It's the juice of those things that what it produces is dark and mysterious. And if we're all honest about this thing, we would say, I would prefer it if that was my little secret. I would prefer it if no one else knew this thing about me. It's massively common. It affects children all the way through to adults. It is just such a huge thing that people have actually died from this and they will continue to die until we get a hold of it. So what we're going to spend just a few minutes looking at today is revenge. Because I believe that we need to, to study this subject and have a little look at it because it will stand us in so much good stead as we go through our lives. You know, revenge in the, in the dictionary, we'll come to the Bible in a minute, revenge in the dictionary actually is defined as this, the action of inflicting hurt or harm on someone for an injury suffered at their hands. The action of inflicting hurt or harm on someone. And when most of us think about revenge, we think about it in one of two camps. We kind of fall into one of two brackets. Bracket A might say, well, okay, revenge, um, in its worst form, and you might just go straight for the worst form of revenge and say, okay, so um, I'd never kill anyone. I'd never take anyone's property. I'd never see anyone come to any harm. And you might just go to the worst form and say, I would never ever do that. The other camp of people might say, well, I, I, I absolutely would take that, yeah, because, because they deserved it. I absolutely would cause them harm because they deserved it. I, I, yeah, I did. I got them battered. And you know what? I'd do it again. And I feel great about it because that's exactly what they deserved. See, so almost kind of self-justify. And as I said, more of us struggle with revenge than would really want to let on. And its results can be really damaging. But the early onset signs of revenge are often so, so small that we miss them. We don't even see the early onset signs of it. But if we actually knew what Jesus did and didn't say surrounding revenge, I feel like that would be helpful for us. I feel like we all dislike when we get publicly wronged. I feel like, as I said, I feel like we all don't like it when stuff doesn't go our way and when we get publicly humiliated or we lose face in front of our friends or of our family. I mean, you know how it is. You know, the new guy starts in work and within a month, he's instantly got the promotion that you were lining yourself up for. It's almost as if he was earmarked for it when he started with the firm. But you'd already told all your friends, that's the one I'm going for, that's the job I'm going for. And your boss had already intimated to you and said, yeah, yeah, you know, he's kind of give you the, tipped you the wink and said, you're on for this. But now you've lost face in front of all your colleagues and in front of maybe friends outside of work because this new guy started and got the job within just a month. But you'd have been so much better at that job than he would have been. I mean, he's so young and inexperienced anyway. And what's the boss's game? Does the boss just not like you anymore? Has he just gone off you? Is, is, that, where, is that where this is now at? And office politics are just the worst things alive, aren't they? I mean, you're kind of like, 
You're angry at the new guy for shafting you, and you kind of want revenge on him, but he didn't really, he didn't really, he kind of did, but he didn't. And you're all forced to be really kind of like friendly with him, and he's like, hey, how's it going, morning? And you're like, hey, yeah, I hope you fall over and hurt yourself and off work for ages and lose your job, and P.S., I'm a Christian, so God bless you. Or it's, it's like, it's such a nightmare because you've got to be all pleasant, but there's such an undertone of revenge that runs through everything. Or what about you cut up on the road on the way into work in the morning? You haven't fully woken up yet. You haven't even had your statutory three coffees. And you're in the car and you're on the way into work and someone slices in front of you and sticks an arm out the window and has the audacity to make out like it's your fault. I mean, that just instantly riles every one of us against the guy in front. It just does. Or the classic, you're in the Mersey Tunnel, you've just gone into the tunnel, you've passed the sign that says keep in lane, and the guy in the car next to you decides that your lane's going quicker than his lane, and he slices across and makes you break. Now, I don't know about you, but with me, my reaction is 10 times worse if you've actually made me break. I mean, slice me up, act like it's my fault, Carve me up, maybe even say something, but do not make me use the break. When you use the break, it's like your break is almost the trigger and it gets even worse. Maybe you've completed a project in work. Maybe you've finished a contract and um, now the client just doesn't want to pay. But that produces a number of problems for you because you've already told your wife Hey, honey, I've got this amazing project going on in work right now, and we can book that holiday, and we can go and get that thing that we've been after, and now this guy wants to query the bill and start renegotiating everything, and it's come to the point in time now when you're actually going to take the money off him, and, but there's a problem. So you're now left holding this problem where you've got to go home and explain to your wife and lose face in front of her that this is your issue. This is, not, this is nothing that you um, could have seen coming. It's nothing that you could have planned for, but now you've got to go home and lose face in front of your wife. And how much does that make you want revenge on the guy? You're just like, why would you do that to me? Why? Who even does that? Or what if it's a friend or a close family member who's, who's hurt you and wronged you, maybe through something that they've said or something that they've not invited you to or something that's just going on? I mean, in my experience, close friends and family can hurt each other more than just about anybody else. But because your life is so close with that person, because your world's so entwined with each other, all you want is some distance. But that's the one thing that you can't get because your lives are so close, your lives are so tight together. All you want is some distance to get rid of these feelings of revenge that you've got towards them, but you can't get the distance that you need. So what do you do about your feelings? Or maybe you were involved in an accident that just wasn't your fault. And now you've been forced to take time off work and you've lost income that you could have really done with. You, you really could have used that money. Meanwhile, the other person who caused the problem, they can just carry on about their happy lives and they don't even seem bothered by the fact that you're now suffering. And you're just like, I wish they could live in my shoes just for one day. Just for one day, I'd love it if they could live how I live. I wonder if they could just, I, I would love it if they could just be in my shoes for a short while. You see, the thing is, all these things are real-life issues that affect every one of us every single day, and these are all standard things that we all go through. And even though we know revenge is wrong, we all get it, revenge isn't the right way to do it, even if we knew 
the right way to go about living, it's virtually impossible for us to do. Even if we knew the right way to react, we struggle so much. And we are aware that there are better ways to live, but we just don't quite know how to do it. And we struggle with making the right decision because we're in a heated moment. So we're just going to spend a few short moments looking at the answer to this one question. What do you do when people wrong you? What do you do when people wrong you? And you know, the really great news for all of us here today is that even though we all suffer with this issue, even though every single one of us is the same, God's word has something to say about it. He always speaks in to our most vulnerable areas. He knows what it is that we can't deal with. He knows what it is when all of our emotions get involved and we can't help ourselves. He understands what presses all of our buttons and he made us and he knitted us together and he understands everything about you. He knows we can't resist our urges to take matters into our own hands. He understands that. But the great news is he gave us the best example to follow, Jesus He's the only one to have ever lived a perfect life. He's the only one to have ever been subjected to everything that you and I get subjected to and be subject subject to all of the same emotions and feelings as we are and still live a perfect life. This is a classic example of why all of Jesus' peers, back when he walked the earth, hated him so much. Because not only did he live a perfect life, and that was pretty annoying for them, but he also turned so many of their religious laws and their rules on their heads when he walked on the earth with this new way to, to, new way to live based on faith in him. So many laws that they devoted their lives to and fought for and written down over centuries. And he turns up, lives this perfect life and turns the whole lot on their heads. So let's have a little read of what Jesus says surrounding the subject of revenge, and it's going to come up on the screen behind me. So we're going to start Matthew 5, verse 38. So this is Jesus speaking. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the, must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So straight off the bat, Jesus is accurately quoting Levitical law. This is just one of over 600 laws that are written in the book of Leviticus at the start of the Bible just for the government of people. So he's accurately saying, you know the law. He's, He's acknowledging that there is a law in place, just the same as there is now to govern people when they commit crimes. He's saying, everyone here knows the law. This is the law. You've all heard it, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I should just explain, actually, that when I was young, I actually did think that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was literal. I thought that if you had something done against you or I had something done against me, the person who'd had the bad thing committed to them had the legal right to go straight back to the other person and do exactly the same back to them immediately. I mean, I was like, that's the best law ever. Go on, Jesus. I was like, that's, that's awesome. But, but, but the rule, that law, was actually more of a guideline for local judges and authorities so they could have a scale of how they would punish an offender should they actually uh, commit a crime. They had a scale so an appropriate level of punishment could be found for their crime. So off the back of accurately quoting the law, Jesus then goes one step further and he says, verse 39, but I say... 
Do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. What? So it's like you've got this law that you've followed for years that says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And then Jesus comes along and goes, nah, I say, turn the other cheek. But you're saying like, is this, is this right, Jesus? You're saying if an evil person wants to harm me, I'm supposed to let them go again? You're saying if an evil person wants to slap me, I'm not just to let them go again. I'm practically to go to them and offer them to go again on the other side. I mean, are you crazy? You're telling me that if a Spurs fan walks in here right now, after, that's all right, people, we won. If a Spurs fan walks in here right now, all drunk from last night and punches me, I've got to get up and go, do you want another go on the other side? I mean, are you crazy? Are you for real? How on earth can you possibly do that? But then he goes on. He says, verse 40, if you're sued in court and your shirt is taken, give your coat to. Now he comes into things like court judgments, which we are all subject to today. We still have courts now, just as they did back then. And <laughs> we would rather say something along the lines of, yeah, I, um, I lost my court case, and um, I've, actually, I've actually heard this. I lost my court case, and, uh, but the thing is, I saw them coming, because what I did was I agreed I was going to pay 10 pence a week for the rest of my life. Yes. Or the old Liverpool classic, we've got the parking fine, or we've got the speeding fine, and you're like, so yeah, so what I did was I paid it in pennies, and I can just imagine some chump counting out all my pennies, and you know what? It was one piece short, and you're just like, are you for real? Like, I totally showed them who was boss, didn't I? But, but, but like, Jesus totally flies in the face of everything that we would naturally want to do. We naturally want to make life awkward and want to make life hard. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 if you get, if you get punished, you pay more than the allotted fine. Then he carries on, verse 41, he says, if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for one mile, carry it for two miles. Now, I think it's important to remember on this point that at the time when Jesus was speaking this to his disciples, Israel was under Roman rule and they didn't like it. They didn't like the Romans. They didn't like the fact that the soldiers were repressing them. So what they used to teach the young Jews was that they were to make life awkward. And if the soldiers were to ask them for a favour, they were to resist and try and find a way around it and say no because they didn't want to engage in any kind of helpful activity with the soldiers because they didn't like them. But Jesus is instructing his disciples, basically all the people who followed him back then and us here today, if we are Jesus followers, that we're to do exactly the opposite. If someone asks us to do something who we don't like, we're not only supposed to do that thing, but we're supposed to do more. He's saying, be kind to the people who you can't stand. He's saying, if they ask you for help, give them help and give them more help than they've asked. So a summary of what Jesus actually said he said, don't resist evil people, offer the other cheek, give more than is asked for you, and go further than you've been asked. So you and I would all agree that we know what Jesus is saying here. We, we know what he's asking us to do. It's not hard. If I went around this auditorium, I think everybody would know, without insulting your intelligence, what Jesus is asking us to do. We all get that, right? So there's no misunderstanding. So let's just close in prayer. But seriously, we all get it, right? If we've been wronged, 
We're supposed to not resist, get slapped again, give our coats away and carry their stuff for miles. So he wants us all cold, tired and slapped, right? That's what Jesus actually wants. So, so, we, so we all get it. And the thing is, we all agree that when, um, when people wrong us, we're supposed to do the right thing. And we all have this, this, um, this knowledge today. So we all get to sit here in this room. We all get to nod along and go, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's what we ought to do. And I, I agree. And that's good. And if this is you that's suffering with revenge today, then keep your eyes forward and keep nodding. And the person next to you thinks you're holy and doesn't know you're a sinner. So you might have all heard it said, um, but, but, but how does that translate into our everyday lives? We all agree what the right way is to live because we've all heard it said in the Bible. But how do, we, how do we make those rules fit into our every single day? Basically, what about us? Like, what are you going to do when someone wrongs you? What are you actually going to do? How do you respond in the times when you get so frustrated that you just want to take matters into your own hands? Because if you follow Jesus... This is an issue. This is a thing. If you follow Jesus, we're not called to respond in the same way that everybody else is called to respond. We're called to be salt and light. We're called to be different. We see things differently. We speak differently. We act differently. So what are we going to do? Well, first thing is this. We're going to give what they don't deserve. That's the first thing we're going to do. Verse 40. If you're sued in court... And your shirt is taken from you. Give your coat as well. The point is this. When someone has wronged you, they don't deserve anything else from you. Chances are they've taken enough already. And you feel like you don't deserve anything from me. But when somebody's wronged you, we need to give them what they don't deserve. But that's the hardest of things to do, right? Don't you just find that impossible? When someone's wronged you, it goes against every fibre of your being to give them anything other than an insult or something bad. You know, recently I read a story um, about uh, two parents who had a daughter called Anne. And Anne started dating the perfect young man. I mean, he was polite, he was funny, and the whole family grew to love him. And he really was knitted in as one of them. And his name was Connor. Um, And they'd been together for about three years. And he really became one of the family. But the thing was, behind closed doors, the couple started to argue. Anne and Connor would start to argue. And as time went forwards, the arguments grew toxic and they grew more common. They grew more often and they grew worse. And about three years after they'd been together, they had this enormous bust up one day. On the surface, everything was fine, but they were in their house. And they had this enormous, enormous argument. And Connor lost all control and went to the cupboard to get his dad's shotgun with the intention of using it on himself. But in a moment, in a heated moment in the argument, he turned it on Anne, and in a second he pulled the trigger and shot her at close range through the eye with a shotgun. The police got called, and Connor got arrested, and Anne was taken to hospital. And in the days that followed, Anne's family all gathered around a hospital bed, and they were told by the doctors that the only option, because she was so poorly, was to turn off the life support machine because she couldn't live anymore. On hearing that news, Anne's mum, Kate, went straight to the prison because Connor had asked to see her. She went to the prison and Connor said, I am so sorry. I can't bring Anne back, but I apologise for what's gone on. uh, Anne's mum, Kate, then tells Connor in the prison that she forgives him, 
and that so does Anne's dad. And after they'd finished their conversation, she told him that she would like to come and visit him in prison every month, all the time of his sentence. And then Anne's mum, Kate, then returns back to the hospital and sits with Anne while life support's removed and Anne slowly passed away. But she was good to her promise and she went back every single month and she visited Connor and she even invited his parents to the funeral. Now, when I hear a story like that, I understand that she gave them what they didn't deserve. She gave them exactly what they didn't deserve. And in, in an interview years later, she said, she was, she was quoted saying, um, that was the action that brought it home to Connor how God works. Because how else could someone arrive at that level of forgiveness? The thing is, in order to deal better with our revenge, we need to give what they don't deserve. But we can't do it on our own. So how do we do it? We get on our knees, we get in front of God, and we say, I've got no business trying to handle this without you. I can't do this without you. And the good news about God's power is it shows up when we're what? When we're weak. It shows up when we're, weak. When we're at our weakest. That's when God's power shows up. So we need to get in front of God. We need to tell him we can't handle it without him. And we need to ask for his help because it's not within our power, but it is within his. The second thing we need to do to handle our revenge better is turn the other cheek. Verse 39, but I say, do not resist an evil person. Uh, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. You know, I don't know about you, but I wish the Bible didn't say some stuff like that. Like, I wish we could just rub that verse out and just gloss over it, but it's in there and it's in there for a reason. And a quick honesty check, I feel like we wouldn't have a problem with any of this, with turning the other cheek, if it wasn't for our pride, would we? The second our pride gets involved, we get told by our pride, we tell ourselves, don't lose face. We tell ourselves, if you lose face, that's bad and it makes you weak. We, we get told all these lies by our pride and it locks us up and it locks God out. And I don't think we'd have a problem turning the other cheek if it wasn't for our pride. But you know, the answer to that is also found in Jesus because when he lived on the earth, he lived the most radically... Um, crazily uh, different version of humility that we've ever seen. He, he, he just a hugely humbling level of humility. When he came to earth, he lived and he didn't care if he was wronged and he didn't care if he lost face because he didn't have the pride issue that maybe you and I would have. And he lived in an age where all the great things were done by great people. And that was just the age when he lived but then he shows up into that world and he says, but let me tell you this, let me redefine greatness for you. Greatness is actually now determined by how well you serve someone else. He turns up in this world of pompous religious leaders who did great things, great things, but he says greatness is defined by how well you serve someone else. He turned everything that they believed upside down and on their head. Greatness has the ability to be humble. Humility turns the other cheek. And humility is okay to lose face. You know, for all you note takers, here's, 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 a, here's a takeaway note for you. It's okay to lose face in front of people so long as your face is known to God. 
It's okay to lose face in front of people so long as your face is known to God because that's where your value comes from. So what do we do when someone wrongs us? We apologise first. What did Jesus do? He initiated reconciliation. He, he, He was the initiator. When he walked on the earth, Jesus was right and Jesus was wronged but he initiated reconciliation for all of us. He was right, but he was wronged, and he initiated the healing process for every single one of us. And you know how it is when you're sitting in the other room and you're like, I'm not going in there, and she owes me an apology, and I'm not, I'm not going in there and starting, starting groveling again because I don't want to give her another opportunity or him another opportunity to have another go at me. And our pride locks us up and we dig in and we think, I'm not going to lose face. You know how it works? So I'm not going to go to his office. He owes me an apology. He's the guy that wronged me. That's how it works. And, we, and our pride locks us up and we lose face if we go there. And we get locked out and we get locked up. Turning the other cheek looks like apologising when you know that you were 5% wrong and they were 95% wrong. That's what turning the other cheek looks like. It looks like valuing what you have more than winning this war. That's what it looks like. And the third and final point today is simply this. If a soldier, oh no, that's the verse. Never mind soldiers, they're all over it. Go the extra mile. That's the third point. I'm coming on to the soldiers in a minute. They'll get theirs. Go, we've, we've got to go the extra mile, church. We have to. We have to be people that go the extra mile. Verse 41 says, if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, then carry it too. If someone demands something of you, instantly that puts you back up, doesn't it? That just puts you back right up and you just like, you demand something of me. I prefer to be asked, have some manners, come to me properly. But if someone demands something of you, like the Roman soldier, in the days when they didn't like the Roman soldiers, Jesus was calling those people to go the extra mile for people who they didn't like. And I think the whole topic of going the extra mile has got an awful lot to do with some level of personal cost. It's got an awful lot to do with being inconvenienced, just having some space in your life to be inconvenienced. And it has to not just be the bare minimum, has to be more than that. When, when, when you get asked to do something that you don't want to do by somebody who you don't like, that's what going the extra mile is when you actually see it through and do that. You know, this church is here today because a huge number of you here now, and maybe people who would be at the six but, but aren't, a huge number of this church went the extra mile and you turned up early and you stayed late and you did more than what was asked and you did more than what was expected and you did more than maybe you could afford to do because you went the extra mile. But I don't think that Jesus is calling us to go the extra mile for the church, for our friends, for our teams because I think it's easy that we get to go the extra mile when it means coming to Friday Night Youth or YA or having an awesome time in church. I think it's easy to go the extra mile to serve on band or tech or powerhouse. I think it's dead easy to go the extra mile for our friends and the people who we like. That's easy. That's the easy thing that we get to do. But Jesus is calling us to go the extra mile for the ones who we don't like, 
for the one. He's calling us to go the extra mile for the awkward person, to give them a lift home and not just to the bus stop, but all the way to the door. He's calling us to cook the family a meal when we can't even afford the ingredients ourselves. Maybe you've never had any communication with that family. Maybe they've been nasty to you in the past. He's calling us to go the extra mile for the people who we don't like. And maybe even the people who have wronged us. It looks like an act of service for somebody who we don't like that has some level of personal cost. Do you know, it looks like a word of encouragement for someone who's hurt you rather than talking about them behind their back to other people. Go to them and speak to them. That's what going the extra mile is. It's going to them with a kind word rather than going to someone else with a bad word about them. And the thing is today, you and I, we all get to walk away from church today. We all get to go home and carry on with our day and go and see the Victory Parade in Liverpool. But unless we determine that something's gonna change, all this stays inside the room. It stays here and we don't get to take it out there. So what are we gonna do when people wrong us? I think we need to take some advice from Jesus. If I'm honest, I think we need to have that thing front and center and call it by name. Imagine just for a minute how great our church would be and how great our relationships would be and how great our work lives would be if we learned what to do when we were wronged. Imagine for a minute how great that would be if we were committed to asking God to make us more like Jesus. Then when we're wronged, and we will all be wronged at some point, I guarantee you, that we can give what they don't deserve, that we can turn the other cheek, and that we can go the extra mile. Church, time's gone. Stand with me while we pray.